Wouldn't it be nice if everybody could just get along with each other? But unfortunately, we know that that isn't real. That isn't what happens in this world. In this world, there are so many disagreements and violence and conflict and war. As human beings, we really struggle just to get along with each other. But God wants his people to be different. Even, if we, even as we live in this fallen and sinful world where horrible things happen, we are called to follow Christ in our community. And we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, from verse 8, just down to the first half of 15. And we're going to just read it now. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if, we should, if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they, are, what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. In this letter, Peter had written about how Christians should relate to their government, how Christians should relate to their slave masters, and then as as husbands should relate to wives and wives to husbands. But now he focused on how Christians should relate to each other. And he called them here To be a blessing. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Now, this does not mean that we should all agree about everything, thankfully. The church is a place of diversity, not of uniformity. But this does mean that we need to be like-minded. To be of one mind. To be... United with a common goal, a shared ambition, and a mutual purpose. This is what the early church was like. It said this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. I think in a way you could picture the church like an orchestra. Where every member plays a different instrument. Plays different notes at different times. With different levels of intensity. But if they're all following the guy at the front, the the conductor, then all of that diversity combines beautifully to create a, a, a wonderful piece of harmonious music. And so in the church, we're all called to follow the leader. And that leader is, of course, Christ. We are to be united to each other Because we're united to Christ. 
This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 2 he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And then in a few verses later, he clarified what that like-mindedness was. When he said, your attitude, your mindset, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We are to live in harmony with each other, even in our diversity. Because we have the same mind, the same love, the same goal, the same purpose as Christ. So if we're individually united to Christ, if we individually allow Him to be the Lord of our lives, to lead us in our lives, then we'll be increasingly united in mind and heart and purpose with each other. And if we're to do this, we also need to be sympathetic to each other. This is about entering into each people, each other's, what they're feeling, what they're going through, both the good and the bad. Paul in Romans chapter 12 says this. He calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We need to be willing to enter into other people's joy and enter into other people's sorrow. So this is what it should look like, what it should mean to be part of a church. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. There isn't supposed to be any criticism or ridicule over those who are struggling. Neither should be their envy or jealousy over those who are succeeding. Instead, we're called to to share in both of those things. Because we have a desire for our brothers and sisters in Christ to be comforted in their struggles, but also to thrive in their good times. And this is the attitude of Christ. Hebrews talks a lot about Jesus being our high priest, our great high priest. The one who, who intercedes, who represents us before God. In chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Christ doesn't condemn us in our struggles. He doesn't stand over us with a disapproving glare. Neither does he keep his distance from us, shocked and surprised that we could be so weak and so limited and have so many difficulties. Instead, our great high priest understands our struggles. Because even although he never sinned, he faced the same temptations that we face. And so he comes alongside us to enter into our pain 
To put his loving arms around us. To comfort us. And to walk with us through our struggles. And he wants his people, us, to do the same for each other. We're called to sympathise with each other. Enter into our joys and our struggles. And so we're called to love as brothers. Peter wrote a lot about brotherly love in this letter. That's because if we put our faith in Jesus, then we are become children of God. So we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Called to share Christ's love with each other. I'm sure Peter would remember the time when he sat at that Lord Last Supper with Jesus and listening as Jesus told his disciples love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. And this love isn't just something we're supposed to talk about but it's supposed to be something that is expressed in practical acts of compassion. Peter wrote here be compassionate Now, when we talk about being emotionally impacted these days, we talk about being moved in our heart. Our heart was moved to that person. In the Bible, the strongest of emotions didn't come from their heart, in their mind, in their thinking. Rather, it came from deeper within us, from our gut, from our bowels, literally. And that's what compassion is. It is to feel right down in the very depths of our being so much care, so much compassion for somebody that we desperately want to help them. That we desperately want them to to see their need met. And that again is a Christ-like attitude. Because this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus responded to those people that he met. When he saw the crowds He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds of people, he felt such deep emotional care and concern for them that he reached out to them in healing the sick, in feeding the hungry, in teaching the lost. And he calls us to do the same. In Jesus' famous parable, this is how the good Samaritan felt when he came across that man who had been beaten up and left for dead by the side of the road. It says when he saw him, he took pity on him. He felt compassion towards him. And so he came to him, bandaged his wounds, took him to that place of safety and gave him the time and the money to ensure that he was fully restored. And then at the end, after teaching that parable, Jesus said to those who are listening, go and do likewise. You go and do the same. You go and reach out in acts of compassion and love to other people who are in need. So God wants us to care for each other deeply. So much so that we're willing to do what we can to reach out to each other. To support each other. To help each other. And to share the truth of God's word with each other. It should be compassion that should be motivate us 
to care for each other as God's people. And of course, we must not give this help in a proud or arrogant or condescending way. Instead, we are to be humble. This literally means to be humble-minded. It's about our thinking. It's about how we think of ourselves and other people. Our thinking is supposed to be so changed that we consider others better than ourselves. And we look to their interests before we look to our own. And this is such an important attitude in a church family. Not just because not having this, not, not just because pride would just kind of destroy our relationships, but also because God is against the proud. Later on in this letter, Peter writes this, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is against those who are proud, but he gives the grace and the help to those who recognize their need and come humbly to him. And again, this humility is the attitude of Christ. Because in humility, Jesus did not hold on to the rights and the privileges that he had as the Son of God. And said again in Philippians 2, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, just like what Eric was sharing with us. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we need to be willing also to set aside our rights and our privileges to serve each other. That's what we're called to. And we're to do this even when the other person doesn't deserve it. Even when the other person has never done something nice to us. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Peter, he lived in the real world. He knew that people would criticize, accuse, and attack him. And by nature, Peter was a man of action. Remember, he was the guy in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane who drew the sword to defend his Lord. But Peter had learned that the Christ-like way in those situations was to be gracious. To express grace to those who attack you. So we shouldn't retaliate when people attack us. Some of Jesus' toughest words to, to understand and to, to live out probably in Matthew chapter 5, 38. You have heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. It's tough words. Huge challenge. And yet this is what Jesus did. During Jesus' trial, when they hurled their insults at him, Peter says in chapter 2, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. So Jesus is only asking us to follow in his footsteps. To do what he did. 
But this is more than just refusing to hit back against the enemies. It's more than that. Jesus also taught us to bless our enemies. Verse 44 of chapter 5 of Matthew says this, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not just don't do them harm, but do them good. Again, this is what Jesus did. Remember Jesus as he was being nailed to that cross? Remember what he prayed? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Words of grace and forgiveness in that excruciatingly painful moment. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everybody else. I don't think that comes naturally to any of us, does it? Maybe it does to you. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about you. It doesn't come naturally to me. That's not the way that we usually feel when somebody attacks us, criticizes us, eh, accuses us, speaks badly of us. And yet this is the difference that the grace of God can make in our lives. Even under intense suffering, even in the face of incredible injustice, we can forgive as we have been forgiven. One of the most powerful examples of that in a, in a Christian's life is, of course, Stephen. As he was being stoned to death. Amazingly, he followed his Lord's example when he prayed for his attackers. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So this is how Christians should relate to each other. This is what we're called to. God wants us to be a blessing to each other. To be united. To be sympathetic. To be loving. To be compassionate. To be humble. And to be gracious. But the question is why? Why should we relate to each other like that? Well Peter says, so that we may inherit a blessing. We are to bless so that we can be blessed. After all, this is what God has called us to. Because to this you are called. This way of relating to others is part of the blessed life that we've been called to. The one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light called you to walk in that light by following Jesus' example, by cultivating this attitude, by feeling as he felt, by loving as he loved, caring as he cared. Humbling ourselves as he humbled himself. And forgiving as he has forgiven us. It's about living the life of Jesus. As John says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we're to treat each other as Christ has treated us. To relate to each other as Christ relates to us. Now, of course, that's an incredibly high standard. 
But God has not just set the standard and left and walked away and left us to try and meet it. God is committed to work in us. To make that increasing reality in our lives. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God starts a process of transforming us to make us more and more like Jesus. This is God's work in us. Helping us to love others as we have been loved, even if they hate us. So this is our blessing. God wants to work in us to change our attitude, to melt our hearts, to transform our lives so that we can become more and more like Jesus. What an amazing ambition God has for us. What an amazing life and purpose he has. This is the best life possible. So Peter, he quotes from Psalm 34, just to illustrate this, verse 10 and 11 of our chapter, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. So if as Christians we want to live a really great life, if we want to see good days, if we want to live the best kind of life possible, then this is how we need to live. We need to reject the evil that's in this world. We need to be careful about what we say and do. We need to live to serve others. Expressing the love of Christ. Sharing the peace of Christ. Living in the grace of Christ. Let's be clear. This isn't how we become part of God's family. We know we become part of God's family just through simply trusting in Jesus and receiving his gift of salvation. But this is how we live it out. This is how we live as a child of God in God's family. But we also need to be clear about what this good life is like. What this best life that Peter talks about here is like. Because it's not, this is not saying that if we live this way, then everything will work out well. And everybody will love us. It's not saying that at all. Yes, if we live a life of love, some people will respect us, even admire us, even be drawn into relationship with us. This is what Peter says in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? As Peter's indicated before, living a good life can silence our accusers, can change the attitude of our attackers. But Peter also knew that this doesn't always happen. He knew this most powerfully from the example of his Lord. The one who lived this out perfectly. And yet he suffered. So good people in this world do suffer. But even if we do suffer, we are blessed. This is what Peter says in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Why are we blessed? Well, because God is watching over us. 
and God will reward us. Verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's all about leaving it all in God's hands. Even if other people unfairly accuse us, criticize us, unjustly attack us, we are still blessed if we faithfully follow Christ because God sees what we do. He appreciates how we're living. He hears our prayers and He will step in eventually. Both to judge those who do wrong and reward those who do good. And so Peter quoted from Isaiah chapter 8 and he said, Do not fear. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be be frightened. We don't need to be afraid of what other people think of us, what they say about us, or even what they might do to us. Not because they're always going to be nice. Peter was writing to people who were being persecuted, being attacked, being beaten, just for being Christian. But rather it's because if God is for us, then who can be against us? This is what Peter had come to realise. Remember on the day, the night that Jesus was arrested, how afraid Peter was? Just when he was asked, are, are you not one of Jesus' disciples? By a servant girl at that campfire in the courtyard. And yet now Peter understood the power of the risen Lord. And that realisation transformed his life so much so that at Pentecost he stood up in that very city. And courageously proclaimed the name of Jesus. Then later, he boldly confronted the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. The court of the day. The high court of the day. (coughs) And then he even slept soundly in the jail. As he was awaiting his execution. Peter knew that if he was in Christ, then ultimately, nobody could harm him. Yes, they could accuse him, they could attack him, they could even kill his body. But no matter what they did, he was still blessed. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. What amazing words of Jesus. And so Peter finished by calling us to do the same as he'd done. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. We don't need to be afraid of other people. But instead, all we need to do is to allow Jesus to be in control of every aspect of our lives. Follow his commands. Walk in his ways. Express his love. Express his compassion and grace. Because that's the blessed life. That's the good life that we can enjoy.
That's the life that is worthwhile even if others attack us. Because God has promised that he will watch over us. And he will help us. And one day he will bring us to to himself where we will share in his glory. So I'm sure I don't need to tell you that we don't live in a world where everybody gets along. But still God wants us to follow Christ in this community. To be a blessing to each other. And he has promised that if we do, then we will be blessed.